Thank you very much, Irene and Holly, for ministering in music. In light of the message of that song, you stop and ponder, we've come to faith in Christ. Our cup has been filled full. We've been given completeness, fullness in Christ, and remain in a state of fullness. Take a moment in silence. You share with the Lord your desire to be responsive to the ministry of God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Christ. And as we consider a portion of Mark that he spoke, we want to be attentive hearers and doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Years ago, before my time, before the days of electricity, in a home you would have some type of lantern. And the lantern would be lit. And then it would be set on a place that it would give light to the room. And the lantern was always lifted up. It was not put, as an example, under the pulpit because it was to give light. And Jesus speaks of that in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And I'll begin reading with verse 21. Mark 4 and verse 21. He said to them, the them is referring to the 12 plus some other people that were close to him. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has been given or who has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. He says in verse 21, or scripture says in verse 21, he said to them. Mark is continuing in verse 21 the parable of the sower, expanding on that. He goes on in verse 26, he also said, and in verse 30, again he said, the account of the lamp on a stand, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed, are all building upon the parable of the sower and the four types of soil, where some seed fell on the good soil and produced 30, 60, or even 100 So he's expanding upon the parable of the sower. Notice in verse 21, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? The question is asked in such a way that the answer is very obvious. You don't bring in a lamp. You don't take the lamp and say, well, I'm going to cover it. I'm going to hide it somewhere. 
because the purpose of a lamp is to give light. And the next question brings that out very clearly. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? What's a lamp for? To give light. The lamp is the subject of the question. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? In the Old Testament, a lamp is frequently a metaphor for God, a metaphor for the Davidic Messiah, Christ, or the Torah. Mark refers to the lamp with a definite article. The lamp is more suitable for a person. I think that person being Jesus Christ. Go back to Mark 1 and verse 7. And this was his message. This is John the Baptist. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 9 says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. John came presenting, preparing the way for Christ. And then Christ came. And then if you look at chapter 3 and verse 20, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. People are gathering because he's the one that John the Baptist spoke about. If you care to, you can turn to John 1. If not, you can listen as I read from John 1 and verse 5 in relation to lamp and light. John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The light there is referring to Christ. And then in John, chapter 8, and verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Apparently, when Jesus is speaking of a lamp, I think he's implying himself, who is light. As you do <clears throat> research, you will find that oil lamps, one of the most coming items discovered as archaeologists do their work of digging. And what is a lamp for? To be elevated, to give light. A lamp that is not elevated or placed under a bed, placed under a bowl, will not give light. And as you go back to Exodus chapter 25, you will find there that a lampstand is being referred to. And then there's seven lamps, and the lamps are to be placed on the lampstand where they're lifted up, where they provided light. Mark 4. 21 seems to be building upon Mark 2. Mark 4, 21 
Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Back in chapter 2, verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, a new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No one pours new wine into new or one, no, one he pours new wine into new wine skins. Jesus says in Mark 2, I'm a patch. I'm an unshrunken patch. I'm something new. He says, I'm new wine. I'm new wine skins. And I think in chapter 4, he's saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm the lamp. Jesus is not subordinated to anyone or anything else. He's the light that enables people to see. The lamp, coupled with the theme of disclosure in verses 21 through 25, would signify that God's purpose in Jesus is to enlighten. Christ, the light, the lamp being lifted up to give light. Verse 22 seems to clarify that. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Assuming Christ is the lamp. He was hidden. He was concealed. You go back to the Old Testament. We find that Christ was not revealed as he is in the Gospels, as he is today. But over time, in the Gospels, we see Christ being revealed. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Christ was hidden. He's being disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. And we find that the twelve, at this point in time, are grasping some about Jesus. They're willing to leave all to follow him. Why? Because they're grasping some about the character, the being, the identity of Jesus Christ. And as time goes on, Christ is revealed more and more. By the time you get to the end of the Gospels, Christ is revealed as the one who paid for the sin of the world. Hidden, but meant to be disclosed. Concealed but meant to be brought into the open. And then in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. An invitation by Christ to hear. James Edwards says in his commentary on Mark, and I quote, Jesus is hidden in order to be manifested. Concealment intends disclosure. The kingdom of God and the parables that witness to it are like a piece of embroidery. One side is a mass of knots and tangles, while the other is a finished pattern. So too is the figure of Christ. To outsiders, he's a homespun rabbi without the credentials of a robotic school, a Galilean upstart. How might one detect in the ordinary threads of such a life 
the emerging pattern of the kingdom of God only by hearing. The point is repeated to redundancy in verses 23 and 24 where the command to hear occurs in Greek three times in two verses. The explanation of the parable of the sower warned against allowing life to become leached by the demands and attractions of the world, leaving no soil in which to nourish the seeds of life. Consider carefully what you hear, says Jesus, for you're like a prisoner whose one chance of escape depends on hearing and solving a riddle. As in the parable of the sower, the entryway into the kingdom of God is through hearing. End of quote. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't merely hear words. Respond to it. And that is brought out in verses 24 and 25. In verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So I hear. What I do with what I hear is how it will be measured to me. What you hear and respond to is how you'll be measured. If you have ears to hear, no, let them hear. And then he says in verse 25, whoever, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now let's compare that to Molly teaching in class, or Karen teaching in class, or Holly teaching in class, and they're teaching, and they notice that about a third of the class is setting and taking it in and grasping it. Test time comes. And a third of the class does well, and the other two-thirds of the class does very poorly. And Karen and Molly and Holly say, okay, two-thirds of the class is dismissed. I'm going to teach the one-third. It's in essence what Jesus is saying. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Those who hear, those who grasp, those who listen, those who apply, I will teach more. I will give more to. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. I've come across people who have heard, they've grasped, they've been taught. They don't live it, they don't apply it. And a couple years later, talk to them and I think, I remember what they were taught. But they lost even what they supposedly had. The degree to which one hears the parables, the extent to which one allows the kingdom to break upon oneself, would he determine the measure of one's understanding? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The light is being revealed. Christ is being revealed. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other ear. Let it stop between and transform a life. Those who have Christ, 
will be given greater understanding of Christ. Last Sunday, as we were sitting in Sunday school and church, I love to observe people. That's just something I enjoy doing. And I just looked around occasionally and observed people. And I thought, hmm, some of these people are really taking it in. And by some of the responses in Sunday school, I thought, they're not merely taking it in, they're living it. That's where Jesus is coming from. Those who fail to receive the mystery in Christ will discover that even what he has will be taken from him. I think in John, where Jesus is speaking to a large group of people, and he spoke some very hard things, and people turned back from following him. Even what they had was going to be taken away. And then he said to his disciples, will you two leave? And the response of Peter was, no, Lord. This is my paraphrase. We know who you are. We'll follow you. Understand the kingdom of God is not by human ability, but a capacity created by God, by Christ, and the Spirit of God working in us. What is the point of this passage, the lamp, the point of the parable? Christ was hidden, but is now being disclosed. He came to be disclosed like a lamp on a stand. Act on this revelation or you will lose what you already have. It's like having muscles. Use them or lose them. Johnny Erickson Tata, who is paralyzed, if you read her account of what happened in her life, after she dove into the water and lost her mobility, you will find that her muscles were exercised by others so that she wouldn't lose everything in terms of muscles. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. How does this parable build upon the sower, the parable of the sower? The parable of the sower brought together two core items in the kingdom of God. The parable of the sower brought together Christ and his identity, in his being, in his character, who Christ was. And also brought together harvest or fruitfulness. This parable emphasizes Christ, his identity, his being. And then him being lifted up and there being fruitfulness. He talks about the lamp, Christ, ties in with his being, lifted up. But he also talks, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. same thing is emphasized in the epistles. Christ's identity 
his being, his character is emphasized in the epistles. Listen in as I read several verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing to a divided church. Some followed Peter, some followed Paul, and some Apollos, and some said we follow Christ. To deal with that, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. At the end of the ver- <clears throat> chapter, he says, therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, where the church was being tempted to follow other beings, Paul says, it's Christ. He's creator. He's the one who died. Follow him. The epistles also emphasize a harvest. That is, the way we live, the way we respond. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, after sharing concerning Christ, concerning salvation, concerning what the believer has in Christ, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, after speaking of Christ, who he is and what we have in Christ, he says, walk worthy of your calling. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, after talking about Christ and who he is in chapters 1 and 2, he says, set your mind, your heart on things above where your life is hid with Christ. This parable, this account of the lamp is presenting Christ, but also fruitfulness and a harvest as we hear and act on what we hear. A couple of thoughts on applying this in life. The lamp, Christ, must be lifted up. He is our message. His being, his character, his identity, his work on the cross is our message. Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In 1 Corinthians, the passage that I referred to earlier, what does Paul say? In the midst of a divided church, he says, Look, you need to stop focusing on people. You need to focus on Christ. Because it's in Christ we have redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, and so on. And in Colossians chapter 2, we find that Paul says, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ the lamp gives light. Not our services, our programs, our music style, our worship style, our methods although those should present Christ, is the emphasis and core of our ministry here at Roaring Brook, Christ in his being, 
in his character, in his identity, and in his work on the cross. Are we Christ-centered? Are we individually as families and as a local church sharing Christ in his identity, his character, his being, and his work? Nothing more and nothing less. Are you as a parent talking to your children about Christ in his character, his being, his identity? Are you talking to them about obedience to him? Are those of us who are grandparents talking to our grandchildren about Christ and his identity, his being, his character, and his work on the cross? Are we talking to our neighbors about Christ and his identity, his being, his character, and his work on the cross? Are we talking to our fellow students about Christ and his identity, his being, his character, his work on the cross? Are we talking to our co-workers about Christ and his identity, his being, and his work on the cross? Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? As we think about our daily lives, our lives on a stand being observed, being transformed as Christ is at work in us. I say being transformed, a process in time. And as we have opportunity, then talking about Christ to others. The lamp, Christ, must be lifted up. Are we lifting up the lamp? Christ in his character, his identity, his being, and his work. A lamp that is not lifted up will not give light. Some of you remember back in August, was it? Beginning of September, when some of us went without power for a number of days, some people went over a week. And I remember at night, we get our little flashlight out, then we light a candle. And every time we lit a candle, I think, you know, let's get it up as high as possible. Why? Because it gives light. Let's lift up Jesus, the lamp, because he's the one who gives light. Verbalizing Christ as we have opportunity. But also a transforming life. Holding up the lamp as God transforms our lives. And then we share verbally as there's opportunities. You know, transformation of life is just surrendering to Christ day by day. On Friday in our way home, Ruth Ann convinced me to stop and look for some shoes. So we went in the shoe store and there's two shoes two different styles of shoes there, and I preferred the first, she preferred the second, and uh, I tried the second style, and it was too tight anyway, but in the context of all that happening, I expressed to her, probably more strongly than I might normally, that, you know, I'm the one that wear these shoes, can I pick the shoes I want, you know, can I wear them? And uh, she said, well, I let you consider my dress 
And I could tell my spirit almost immediately that my attitude was wrong. I mean, the whole store didn't know that happened. Just half of it? I don't think even half. But as we get into the car, I said, honey, I'm really sorry. I didn't respond correctly to you. See, that's transformation. See, I could have heard the Spirit of God working in me, and I could have squished that and not acted on it. And the next time, be harder. But the Spirit of God was at work. God was in the process of transforming me and responded. On your job, in school, the way you live and respond is holding up a lamp. Your lifestyle, but also verbally. Transformation day by day. Here are my concerns about the message of the cross of Christ, of his identity, of his character, of his being. Sometimes we share about the work of Christ, the cross and the resurrection, while neglecting his being, his identity, and his character. Why would the disciples die for Christ? Because they knew who he was. They didn't merely know what he did. They knew who he was. Sometimes we may be tempted to share Christ as an escape from sin, escape hell and the way to heaven, and stop with that. All those things are involved with coming to Christ, but we're coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with the Creator God, not merely escaping sin or hell or going to heaven. Sometimes we're tempted not to wait for the Holy Spirit to convict us or to, to convict a non-believer. We might push a non-believer too much and not letting the Spirit of God do a work in their life. And then another application, and this was implied before, mere knowledge is not sufficient. We should apply what we hear. Have you responded to the lamp? Have you responded to Christ? Have you trusted him as Savior? If not, why not today? If you have trusted him, are you one of those who are doing? Living the Christ life on the job with your family? Are you willing to verbalize the message, the lamp, hold up the lamp when God opens doors of opportunity? What does Jesus say? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together.